Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. All right, I want to welcome all of our other locations and those online. Come on, let's just welcome Hasselet. Let's welcome McKinney. So excited to have you all. Well, it is an honor to be here at Milestone Church. I'm Pastor Steve Robinson. I am from New Orleans, uh, pastor of the privilege of pastoring Church of the King. And, uh, but, but this morning, it's not about Church of the King, it's about you guys. I, I've known Pastor Jeff and Brandy over 20 years, actually 23 years. Uh, Jennifer and I met them, met your pastors in the back of a church van, in a van at a conference. And uh, just really connected with them. Jeff's one of my dearest friends in the whole world. And uh, just so proud of what God is doing to this church. By the way, uh, I've had the privilege as well uh, being on the board here as one of the overseers. There's a great board uh, of folks. And we had a board meeting yesterday. And I, I got to tell you, I am, and, and I mean this, I, I was speechless when I just began to see all that God is doing. The people coming to Christ. How many of y'all excited about 1,700 young people? Come on. <laughs> On a Wednesday. I mean, so, so here's the deal. Maybe you're a guest here, and I say this in the fear of the Lord. This is, like, this is like just not typical church stuff. This is supernatural. And the hand of the Lord is on this church in such a great way. I, I do want to say, particularly for the Keller folks here, uh, just as someone on the board, thank you so much for your literally sacrificial giving year after year. And how many are grateful for this new facility? Isn't this great? Come on, isn't this great? All the new children's area. So I want to say how proud I am of you guys and how grateful I, I am part of the family. And, and I mean that. Although I pastor Church of the King, I'm part of, part of your world and it's a privilege. Today I want to talk to you about how to respond when life hurts. H- how do you respond when life hurts? hurts. We, we are in a series at our church. I'm teaching through First Peter, and I've been teaching the last four weeks, and I've been teaching through, it's an interesting, we call it a book, it's actually a letter. Peter wrote a letter to churches in what's called Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he wrote those around 62, 63, maybe 64 AD, and he wrote those for a specific reason, First Peter and then Second Peter. And it was, it was because these new Christians were under persecution. They had given their heart to Christ. And by the way, not everybody was excited when they got saved. Do you remember when you gave your heart to Christ? You, you thought everybody was going to be fired up about it, but, but maybe your mom was because she prayed for you. But man, I tell you, your friends, why? Because you have new convictions. You have new values. You don't want to go to the same places. Do the same things. So there's persecution, and with that, there's suffering. Peter is writing to this early church about how to respond in hard times. Two things. Number one, how to live holy in a dark world. Culture, if you think culture was dark then, how is it now? Think about the, the, where culture is, even as I'm speaking right now. How do you live holy? Watch this. How do you live holy in an unholy world? How do you live filled with faith? In troubled times. I want to talk to you today about right from Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3. How do you respond when life hurts? How do you respond when life hurts? When pain hits you, 
Pain is an equal opportunity exploiter, I'll say it that way. All of us experience it's part of the human dilemma. It's something that we all go through. You, you, you were believing for a job situation. It didn't work out. Somebody else got the job. It's painful. You feel looked over. You feel underappreciated. Maybe on more of a personal level, you're going through a strain in your marriage. You thought, my gosh, we hit some bumps. I never saw it coming. You may have even had a recent conversation. You thought, whoa, things are a lot worse off than I even realized. And it's painful. How do you grapple with those emotions? Maybe it's with the child. You thought, my gosh, we brought them to church. We, we did everything right. We prayed for them. We brought them to summer camp. We put values. And then they're making choices that are so inconsistent with what you taught them. You lay in bed at night with your spouse. You're thinking, my gosh. And, and listen, it doesn't matter how well you're doing on your job. It doesn't matter how prosperous you're doing financially. There is no pain like kid pain. And now you've got to make a choice. Because when pain comes, then the next step is you, you begin to feel a sense of shame and embarrassment. What's going on? Why am I not where I thought I was going to be? Why is my family not where I thought it was going to be? So everybody say pain, and everybody say shame. When you feel pain, there's a certain embarrassment and shame. You start comparing yourself. Their marriage is better. Their job's better. Their kids are better. If I see one more bumper sticker for my child's an honor roll student, I'm like, my gosh. When you experience pain in life, you feel a sense of embarrassment. And then there's this next step. There's this critical step that when you're embarrassed and you feel a sense of shame, it's a, it's a subtle step, but it's a big step. And the step is you, you take a step into isolation. Now, now, why do people isolate? Here's the reason why. They isolate because they don't want to, watch this, they don't want to talk about where their life is. They think that they're protecting themselves by putting up walls, but they're actually imprisoning themselves. Peter is writing to a first century church that is having this tendency, what I would call a human proclivity, to protect themselves when they're in pain. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. I want to talk to you today about how to respond when life hurts. Peter writes, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing." knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. That's a good thing. For he would love life. Pastor, I want to love my life. I want to wake up in the morning with a sense of faith and expectancy for the day. I don't want to roll over, hit the snooze five times, and thinking, my gosh, here it goes again. I want a certain buoyancy on the inside where I'm ready to jump out, not just have a great day, but make it a great day. Why? Because there's a faith in my heart. Peter says, those who would like to have good days, love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Everyone say do good. We're going to talk about that today. Let him do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord, God has eyes. The eyes of the Lord 
The eyes of the Lord do what? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Thank God, God hears our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Today, straight from scripture, I wanna give you three ways to respond when life hurts. Peter would say, number one, stay relationally connected at all costs. Look what he says right here. Peter starts with a strong encouragement. Be of one mind. In other words, stay connected. Don't get divided. When pain comes and suffering comes in our lives and we feel that sense of shame, we want to disconnect. Why? Again, thinking we're protecting ourselves, but only really imprisoning ourselves. Peter says, no, no, no. Guys, we know it's tough. We know that you're suffering. We know that you're going through all of the complexities of life and dealing with pain and what they're saying about you. Things may have not worked out the way you thought. Disappointment came. Marriage challenges. But don't isolate, he would say. At all costs, do not isolate. Be of one mind. The enemy loves to pick off isolated Christians. He loves to separate you from the herd, separate you from the pack, separate you from the body of Christ. Think about that word, the body of Christ. There's certain challenge that we have in the Western world. The Bible primarily was written with an Eastern framework. It was much more communal. The West, we, we deify, that means we make it godlike, individualism. We talk about a lot about individualism. We, we, we applaud that. And there's a certain sense of, of independence that's good. But there's a negative side where, where we want to be our own people. The, the Bible, well, pastor, time out. The Bible is, is in our relationship with Christ. I was sharing Christ with somebody one day. And they said, they said well, that's personal. I said, you're right. Uh, Christianity is personal, but it's not private. How do you, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, no, 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 don't, 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 it's going to shine. You can't make the light of Christ in you, let me tell you, private. The only time Christianity is, is, is private is it's when you receive Christ. No one can see into your heart but God. It's very individual when you receive Christ and the day when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer, but between that moment and that moment, Christianity is a team sport. You need one another. Don't isolate. Everyone say, don't isolate. Well, I don't want to go to small group. I'm not feeling good. Time out, time out, time out, time out. That's when you need to plug in. I saw a guy, re a guy recently at a restaurant. I said, man, where you been? I hadn't seen you in church. He goes, oh, man, well, you know, I'm just, things aren't going well. And I'm like, wait, wait, can I just say this at your pastor? Don't isolate from the body of Christ when things are not going well. That's when you need to press into relationships. That's when you need to show up in the house of God. Peter would say, at all costs, do not isolate. The enemy wants to divide and conquer. You see it in marriages and relationships. Family goes through a tragedy, a loss of a child, a loss of someone dear through a disappointment. And the enemy wants to come in and put a wedge and isolate and divide you. Fight for unity. Fight for connection. Jennifer and I are good friends with a couple in our church named John and Joyce Scott, dear friends, great Christian people, great leaders in our church, and their son, they have three boys, one is in heaven, and their, their son um, 
died of cancer. It was a long battle. We believe in healing. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that we should trust God, but there are times when things don't work out the way that we prayed for. By the way, we will know on the other side. We'll have all answers on the other side, but there's times on this side where we don't, we do our part. We trust God. And, and I saw this couple. I was so proud of them. You can look at the statistics where couples break up often when they go through tragedy. Why? Because they internalize pain and shame and they isolate from one another and they, there's a wedge that comes in that relationship. Finally, where they just pull the plug and say, let's just do life alone. Let's just start over fresh with somebody else. Don't do that. This couple drew together. Watch this. They drew close to God vertically and they drew close to one another horizontally. In other words, pain for the believer can actually strengthen your relationship if you make the right choice. Peter would say at all costs, don't what? Say it. Isolate. Don't isolate. At all costs, don't isolate. Verse 8, being, having compassion for one another. Compassion. I'm just going to go verse by verse. Having compassion for one another. Original Greek language. To have compassion means to suffer with. To suffer with. It's interesting. There's a term that we're using in our modern vocabulary. It hasn't been used as much. But the last two decades, we're hearing a lot. Empathy. Particularly in the psychological fields. What is empathy? Compassion is when you're suffering with. Empathy is actually when you get in the shoes of another person and you feel what they're feeling. Not just suffering with them, but actually suffering for them. It's another level. Dr. Henry Cloud in his book, Boundary, said empathy is the ability to enter into another person's experience and connect with them in such a way that you actually experience to some degree what the other person is experiencing. Number one, when you are hurting in life, don't isolate. Number two, when someone you know is hurting in life, don't let them isolate either. And one of the ways you can draw them out is through compassion and empathy. It's interesting, I've been married 28 years and one of the things I've learned, it's taken me a long time, that when my wife is hurting, okay, ladies, I've come all the way from Louisiana, wives, to help you out. Here it is. Guys, when your wife is hurting, guess what she doesn't want? She doesn't want you to fix her. She wants you to listen to her. Now, ladies, you should have just shouted right there. That, that was a, a great moment. Everybody say empathy. Everybody say perspective. And everybody say plan. When people are hurting and they come to you, they don't want the perspective. Yes, God is good. He's on the throne. Can you just hurt with me for a moment? When somebody's isolating, don't preach at them. Listen, suffer with them for a moment. In other words, enter into their space, into their world, and feel what they're feeling because they really don't want to be there. Peter would say, have compassion, have empathy, then give them perspective, and then give them a plan. Don't isolate, and don't allow those that are hurting to isolate either. Look at love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. I love the body of Christ, the word brothers, to love, phileo. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a power there. The agape love is God's love. Phileo love is God's love flowing through us. Human love expressed in an emotional way where we connect with people. Don't isolate when you're hurting and don't let people isolate. I, there was a small group in our church. These, these guys, this is an amazing story. This guy was hurting. He starts cutting himself off from people. You know how it is. You know, you know what happens in our emotions we start listening to those lying, deceiving, 
The Bible calls them beguiling emotions where they lie to us. You know, emotions talk to you, right? This guy began to cut himself off. And so you know what his small group did? This is powerful. They set up chairs in his front lawn on a Tuesday night. So they set up seven chairs and they had an eighth chair and it was for him and they left it open. Week after week after week. They knew that he was looking. He'd look out the window. It's like, oh, you guys, you know. Finally, they set up a tent. And they said, we're not leaving until you come out because we love you in the name of Jesus and you're worth it and we're fighting for you. He came out the next morning crying. Number one, when you're hurting, don't isolate. Number two, when people are hurting around you, love them, go after them, care for them, and help them in their pain. Peter would say, isolation. Don't don't allow isolation. Look at verse nine. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you're called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We have an ability as Christian people to absorb when other people, you ever play bumper cars? You ever been on bumper cars? One car hits another car and hits another car. That's called bumper cars. That's called relationships when people are hurting. I've often said this to our church, where there is heat in a relationship, there's hurt under the hood. And when somebody hits you, Peter would say, have the ability to absorb that. I'm not talking about submitting to some toxic, unhealthy, abusive thing. I am suggesting that we need to allow, if you're married, your spouse to have a bad day and you to keep quiet and not overreact. Peter would say, don't return. In other words, it's counterintuitive, but come in a different spirit. Respond differently. (laughs) If we really live the Jesus principle, Peter's really, it's the Jesus principle. Matthew chapter five, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. This is responding in a different spirit. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Think about that for a moment. If you begin to pray for people that have hurt you, it is impossible long-term for you to stay bitter in your heart. You can't. Prayer actually, praying for your, the people that have hurt you actually extracts pain out of your soul. Matter of fact, if you really want to get the pain out, if your prayer is not working by itself, give them a gift. That really melts your heart. Look at verse 10, for he who would love life. I I don't ask a lot of questions in my messages. I used to as a young preacher. I'm gonna ask one. How many of you of all of the campuses would be honest enough to say that you would like to, number one, love your life and see good days? Would you raise your hand? Come on, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, come up for prayer after service. (laughs) You, You need prayer. Of course we wanna love life. Of course we do. Peter locates He locates the contingency. If you want to love life, ah, you got to do this. What do you do? Well, you got to watch what comes out of your mouth. In other words, you got to refrain your tongue from evil. Pastor, I want to love my life. I want to be excited. I don't want to experience toxic, unhealthy emotions. I want to interpersonally connect with people. I want to excel at work. I want to absorb when people don't respond exactly how I anticipated. In other words, I want to be happy about life. Refrain your tongue from evil. Watch what's coming out of your mouth. Do good to those who hate you. He would love life and see good 
Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. I've said this to our church for years, two things, two relationship principles. Number one, the quality of your life, watch this, everyone look right here. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. We all know people that tons of money, rich, 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 but their relationships are a disaster at every level. They don't experience peace and happiness. Peter said, if you want to have a good life, number one, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. Number two, the quality of your relationships is often determined by the quality of the words that come out of your mouth. Ooh, high accountability. Look at verse 11. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. There's two concepts of peace. There is what I would consider a peacekeeper and number two, a peacemaker. Pastor, what's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? Matthew chapter five, six, and seven is called the Sermon on the Mount. Part of that is the Beatitudes, you know the Beatitudes, happy are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed actually means happy. Happy are those, happy are those, happy are those, happy are those. If you get to the bottom, it says, watch this. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, not keepers, the peacemakers. What's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? A peacekeeper is somebody that tries to reduce tension and avoid conflict. A peacemaker is somebody that rolls up their sleeves and enters into the pain of relational conflict and reconciles factions and different opinions and brings them to the table and says, it's not who's right, but it's what's right for the kingdom of God. Reconciliation is what's right. A peacemaker, God has called you to be a peacemaker. A peacekeeper lacks courage. A peacemaker has biblical wisdom and reconciles warring parties. God's called us to be peacemakers. God's called us to be peacemakers. Three people were excited, the rest of you are under conviction. That's all right. <laughs> Pastor, you ever have tough conversations? All the time. Family, ministry, friends. Team members, God's called us to be peacemakers. Number one, Peter would say, at all cost, don't isolate. And number two, don't let people isolate. Know that the enemy picks off isolated Christians. Number two, the second thing that Peter would say is live proactively. I'm just going verse by verse. Look at verse 13. And he would harm you. And who is he who would harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if we should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their, their threats, nor be troubled. Don't be scared. No, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What is Peter doing? Peter starts by challenging us to fight isolation, to live in community, to don't disconnect from the body of Christ. But then he begins to say, there's a proactive response when you're hurting. Oftentimes, when we're hurting, again, what is the strategy of the enemy? To immobilize you, to paralyze you, to neutralize you. And so what we've got to do is we've got to break out of the downward inertia where we're stuck and we've got to live proactively. And one of the ways that we live proactively, when we live reactively, we speak deceit. When we live proactively, we declare what God has done. Proactive living often begins with the tongue. 
Peter locates the power of proactive living. Here's what he says. Be ready to give a defense to those that ask. In other words, live proactively. The contrast is don't speak deceit, reaction. Proactive, speak what God has done. Pastor, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I, I just feel, I feel banged up by life. What do I do? Number one, don't isolate. Number two, find somebody else that's hurting worse. Somebody came to me one time and said, Pastor, I'm just hurting. I just feel like I've just got so many problems. What do you think I should do? I said, well, number one, we want to pray. And number two, find somebody else that's hurting worse than you and begin to help them. I said, wait a minute. That, again, counterintuitive. I'm hurting and I'm going to find somebody else that's hurting worse? Yeah, because what the enemy's strategy is when you're hurting, I guess... Let me, tell you, let me say what I'm not saying. I'm not suggesting there's not seasons of healthy growth through grieving in the face of loss. I'm not suggesting that. I am saying you don't stay there forever. And I am saying one of the ways to get out of that, that, that overextended seasons of grieving where you're so medicating your pain through just isolating and just listening to different voices break out of it by being proactive and declare what God is doing in your life. By the way, pastor, I don't feel like God is doing anything. Well, he did do something great when he saved your soul. How about that? He did save your soul. Can you just do that? Find somebody's hurting. Well, pastor, what do I say? I was once lost but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. Can you just say that? Can you say that? The power of your words being proactive breaks you out of a place of isolation. It breaks you out of it. John, the revelator on the Isle of Patmos, the book of Revelation, there's lots of interpretations throughout the generations, but one is so clear. John says this in Revelations 12, 11. Here's what he says. And they overcame. We overcome. We overcome isolation. We overcome, we, we, we overcome the place of, of immobilization. We overcome being trapped by our pain and by those beguiling emotions. We overcome. We get out of that place. How? Two ways. One, by the blood of the Lamb, by the power of Christ. And number two, by the word of what? Our testimony. In other words, we work our way out of that prison by declaring what God has done. By declaring what God has done in our life. God is moving in my life. God has done great things in my life. God has touched my life. God saved my soul. Pastor Steve, why do you always share your testimony? Two reasons. Number one, because the people I pastor need to hear it. They need to know what a wreck I was before I was a Christian. They, they need to know that so that everybody is welcome at Church of the King. Matter of fact, there was a lady who came to me one time. She goes, I just love how transparent you are. I just love it. You're just like a mess like all of us. I said, well, I've got a little bit better. I mean, come on. I have made improvement. God does love me, but I mean, I have grown. But I share my testimony all the time. You want to know why? Because people need to hear it, and I need to be reminded of it. Peter would say, don't isolate. Number two, be proactive with your tongue. Declare what God has done. Declare what Christ has done. Oh, man, faith comes, faith comes, faith comes. Faith comes in your heart when you declare what God has said. Look, verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your conduct, watch this, in Christ, they may be ashamed. What does it mean to have a good conscience? What does it mean to have a good conscience? A good conscience in essence means when your beliefs and your behaviors, there's a, there is a 
great continuity there. There's not a discontinuity where your belief, here's what I believe in my behavior. Now, there's nobody perfect. Don't misunderstand me. But someone who has a good conscience, they're not living with what's called a duplicitous lifestyle. They say one thing, but they do another thing. In other words, there's a very close connection between their walk and their talk. It's very close. And God has given you a conscience to direct you. And the Holy Spirit will speak and prick your conscience. Don't go there. Don't do that. You're made in the image of God. You're moral creatures. You're not an animal. You're made in the image, the likeness, and the dominion of God. And God will speak, and he'll prick your conscience. I, I, was, I was recently with my kids. I've got four children, and my oldest child is a daughter. She's a therapist, and she lives in California with her husband. They're therapists. They just, I don't know why they live in California. <laughs> Only God knows. But anyway, apart from that. They, they did go to seminary out there and they're, they're getting their associate therapist getting their hours. And I was there two weeks ago and with my wife and we were in a car and I didn't know where I was. You know, they were in, they live in Carlsbad and I, and so I've got a GPS, I've got the phone and I don't know what we did before we had the phone with the GPS. What, well, I guess we had maps. Come on. Y'all remember maps? If you're under 30, you don't know what that is. But anyway, so, so, I, so I, again, this is not a microaggression from a male towards females, but I, I thought, I think it's a little interesting that every GPS person is a woman. And so it's seriously, there's a lady on there. And so finally she's telling me what to do and turn this way and turn this way. And it was very helpful. And then finally I'm like, no, we've done this four times. She's telling me the wrong thing. It's supposed to go this way. And so the lady, so the next thing you know, she goes, turn fool. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> but I told my wife, I'm not going to listen to her, she doesn't know what she's talking about. That's not true. Well, what she didn't, what I didn't realize is she saw that there was a wreck up there and she was trying to reroute me. How many times do we not listen to our conscience and we think, no, and our conscience going, don't do that, fool. I'm trying to save you from pain. Now, here's the good thing about God's grace. Even in God's grace, when we take a wrong turn, how, how many of y'all are grateful that God reorients us and gets us back on track? How many of y'all are grateful for God's grace? God can reroute you. Peter would say, when you're hurting, don't isolate. Number two, be proactive with your tongue. Declare. Declare what God has done. Now, I'll finish with this. Christianity is a comeback faith. Christianity is a comeback faith. The third thing that Peter would say to us is embrace Jesus' suffering and his resurrection. I'm talking to you about how to make it through when life hurts. Look at verse 17. Peter says, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. In other words, life's hard enough as it is. Let's not create additional layers of suffering by poor choices. Now we all make them at times, but let's make better choices than poor choices. So it's one thing to suffer for for doing good. Let's definitely not suffer for doing evil, though. But then he goes, he says, for Christ also suffered once, one time, for our sins. The just for the unjust. The just, Jesus Christ, for the unjust, you and I, the righteous one. He who committed no sin died for who? For us who were sinful. The just for the unjust. The righteous 
for the unrighteous, you and I. He died for us when we couldn't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Christianity is not a moral renovation program where we just kind of do our best. Try No, it's we're in sin. We need a perfect man to die for us as sinners. The just for the unjust. But he doesn't stop there. He says the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Pastor, how do you become a Christian? You must receive Christ. When you receive Christ, the unjust, us, are made justified by him who is just, and he brings us to God. There is no other way into relationship with God except through Christ. I know people will say that today. We're not universalists. We don't believe there's lots of ways, and Christianity is the best way. The Bible's clear. He's the only way. The just died for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. But wait, but wait, but wait. Oh man, this is so powerful. Being put to death in the flesh, Jesus Christ, watch this, was made alive by the Spirit. We have what's called Good Friday on Passover. We know that Jesus was the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, when he saw his cousin Jesus coming down to be baptized, said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain on Good Friday. Now we call it Good Friday. It was good for us. It wasn't good for him. In his humanity, it was good for us. And he literally died. He literally died. He was placed in a tomb day one Friday. Day two, Saturday. I'm talking about how to get through a bad day. Day three is Sunday. Sunday morning, when the first folks showed up at the tomb and they saw the stone and they realized, wait, there's an angel. What's going on here? And, and they realized what, who you're looking for is not there. What happened to the body of Jesus? I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit is a resurrection spirit. The Holy Spirit specializes in taking dead things and making them come alive. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, oh man, this is so good. Here's what he said. If the same Spirit, if the same Spirit, if the same Spirit, don't miss what I'm about to say. I'm closing. Because some of you are dealing with things that feel like they're dead and they're gone. A relationship. A, a, a child, it's like, will they ever come to Christ? A business, a dream in your heart. And you feel like, man, it's dead, it's gone. You've got to understand that Christianity in its essence is a comeback faith. Christianity is not just the cross. It is the cross. Our sins were paid for on the cross, but it's not just the cross. It's the cross and the resurrection. Half the gospel is the cross. The other side of it, it's the cross and the resurrection. When you got saved, you weren't just forgiven of your sins, but you received the gift. You received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a resurrection spirit. The same spirit. Everyone say same spirit. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Can I tell you, that's a rhetorical statement. He does. The same spirit you got to see this, the same spirit, the same, when you're waking up and you feel depressed, you feel like you're gone, you feel like that thing's too gone, the same spirit, everyone say the same spirit, 
the same spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit that came in the body of Jesus that Sunday, the same, the same spirit that came, the same spirit. He didn't raise himself from the dead. The spirit of Christ raised him from the dead. If the same spirit some of you are struggling right now with that kid. You're struggling with your future. You're struggling. If the same spirit, Peter says the same spirit. Paul says the same spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Dwells in you. Dwells in you. That same spirit shall quicken your mortal body. The things that have died in your life, the things that look like they're over, the same spirit. The same spirit. Oh, I wish I could tell you things. We all have a story. Times where I felt like, my gosh, in, in, in key relationships in my life, in key situations with my kids, in key thank, thank God, the same spirit. It's the same spirit. Pastor, how do I make it through life when it hurts? Number one, don't isolate. Don't I, the enemy picks off isolated Christians. Number two, use your tongue proactively to break out of that and declare what God has done. Number three, you got to remember the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you as a Christian. And the Holy Spirit specializes in entering into dead situations. The defining characteristic that differentiates Christianity from every other faith is the resurrection. Lots of leaders have died for their followers, but only one was raised from the dead. How many are grateful for the resurrection? How many are grateful for the resurrection? God is speaking to you right now. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Every one of our locations, those that are online, I just sense the presence of God. God is here. He loves you. He cares about you. God's not mad at you. Maybe you do not know Christ. You're not sure about your relationship with God. Matter of fact, you're not sure if you die today that you're ready to stand before God. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can't save you. Milestone Church can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. I tell you what we can do is we can point to Jesus. He's the Savior. Well, what do you need to believe? Number one, Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned. I've sinned, you've sinned. We've all come short. You can't save yourself. That's the problem. Some of you have been trying to save yourself. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die for my sin and your sin. But the gift of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus died in our place. And Jesus right now is wanting to save your soul. Maybe you're not right with God. If you die today, are you ready to stand before God? Are you at peace with God? In just a moment, at the count of three, I'm just gonna ask for a show of hands. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, but right where you are, those may be joining online, one of our other locations at Haslett, McKinney, here at Keller, if Jesus is talking to you, I'm telling you, he wants to save your soul. If you're not right with God, in just a moment, at the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to hold your hand up so I can see it and pray. Pastor, pray for me, I need Christ. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you and you as well. God bless you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. Hold your hand up high so I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, sweetie. 
Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Yeah. Church family, we're going to pray with those that are trusting Jesus right now. This is the most important moment in each service. And, and this is where people literally, are, the Bible says they're going from darkness to light. They're being born again. The Spirit of God is coming to live on the inside of them. Let's pray together, church. Can we pray with those that are trusting Christ? Come on, all together, say, Dear Jesus. Come on, everyone. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this last thing. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.